Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Ranmec. Berto Will is your host. Thank you so kindly for being here. Uh, Jorge Gonzalez. Saludos, hermanos. ¿Cómo está usted? Bridge MCP. She is back. You know how that thing go on, t- on TV where it's like, she's back. Well, guess who we have back? Bridge MCP. I hope all is well. I hope you're feeling fine, my dear. We missed you for a few days. But as long as you're doing fine, we are doing just fine as well. We are okay with that. How's it going, people? How is it going? We're going to have a great show for you today. We're going to have a great show for you today. For somehow, we're not queuing. Jenny Wallace Seglins, welcome aboard from Florida, checking in. I hope you guys have that kind of thing under control. You know how it goes with El Señor DeSantis. He's kind of like, uh, uh, how is this? How should we call, what should we call DeSantis here? DeSantis sort of had of a problem. He thinks that magic thinking can solve problems. And because he says, oh, our state didn't do us bad, so we must not be as bad. But who knows, people? Who knows? Anyhow, we are going to have a great show for you today. And uh, Eric Hayes, welcome aboard. De Satan. (laughs) De Satan. De Satan. You know, in, in Spanish, Satan is Satan. Right? So I guess we're calling it Satan. Anyhow, folks, we're going to have a great show for you today. Um, what are we going to talk about today? Let me tell you what we're going to talk about today. Let me put that up on the screen, and then we'll get busy and make it a little bit more official and all that good stuff. So let's go ahead on the screen. The title of the show today is oops, I screamed, GOP Civil War is FBI Bias Walking Wild Black. Again, again, this continues to hurt. Hey, allies, we need you, man. You got you to gotta get into the fight. Conservative fighting for green energy. I had another interview to present today. But after speaking to this guy, I looked at him and I said, ah, this is great. I really enjoyed speaking to this guy today. It was really enlightening to talk to him. And I think you guys are going to enjoy listening to this guy. So let's go ahead and... First, get started with one little piece, the the civil war in the GOP. I want you to check this out because you won't you won't believe this. Check this out. You believe President Trump should be speaking, or former President Trump should be speaking at CPAC this weekend? Yes, he should. Yes, he should. Congresswoman Cheney. Uh, that's up to CPAC. I've, I've been clear in my views about uh, President Trump and, and the extent to which following the extent to which following January sixth, uh, I don't I don't believe that he should be playing a role in the future of the party or the country. I don't I don't believe that he should be playing a role in the future of the party or the country. On that high note, thank you all very much. <laughs> now, was that funny or what? Was that funny or what? I don't know what went down there, my friends. I do not understand what happened there. But it turns out, it turns out that Liz Cheney, Republican conservative Liz Cheney, she is my new hero. Look, we don't believe all the conservative things that Liz Cheney stands for. But you have to say the woman has integrity. You have to say the woman has more pelotas than every one of those men that were standing there with her. That was standing there with her. Check it out. You had Steve Scalise there. Oh, my God. You had, of course, uh, McCarthy. Are you kidding me? And she is the only one strong enough to stand up to Brother Trump. And say, no, we will not, we will not tolerate having this disaster in our party. Let me tell you, folks, you know, you know I'm a progressive, you know I'm a lefty, all that good stuff. But there's nothing more, I have always had respect for solid conservatives. There are certain people that have some conservative views that I don't share, but I respect them. And the reason I respect them is because there, you know, there are certain things that are not black and white. There are certain things that are preference. 
You can have a preference for small government or big government. You can have a small preference for right-sized government or absolute small government. That's a choice. That's a choice that people make. And conservatives want it very small. And, and Democrats in general don't. Now, if you are wanting small government and you are willing to live with the consequences of small government, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I like right-sized government, government that is much bigger than corporations because I like we the people in control. That's a choice. And what each side is supposed to do is based on truth, based on reality, go out there and say, this is what I stand for. Will you be with me? And then others will say, uh, well, no. So now, uh, I'm, uh, Eric, I think, wants me to name conservatives. Well, this guy that I'm interviewing is, I've interviewed several conservatives on this show. Been with me long enough, you've known all the conservatives that I've, uh, that I've interviewed. Anyhow, so that was, that was important, uh, that, that was important uh, to talk about. Anyhow, let's continue here because what I want to go to is the other video. Uh, this uh, Frank Figliusi decided to talk about why is it that what occurred on February 6th occurred? How comes, how comes the, the government was so off cue? How comes the police was so off cue? How comes they were so able to do that? And, you know, he, a former FBI assistant director, he hit the nail on the head. I want you to listen to this. There are two schools of thoughts as far as uh, why this, the National Guard and other police didn't get involved in, on January 6th early enough. One is that it was planned. We wanted the uh, unpatriotic, seditious insurrectionists to be successful so we kind of hold back till they got their stuff done, then we come in. The other thing is actually what we saw presented by those police officers who likely had nothing to do with any kind of a plan on, on, on attack. We noticed that the treatment that these insurrectionists got looked very, very different than the treatment the average Black Lives Matter or other protesters would have otherwise received. And, you know, listening to uh, the assistant, former assistant uh, director, FBI director, what he had to say, it puts that second thought into place that there is a lot more to why better preparation wasn't made to protect the Capitol. Check out what he had to say, then let's take it on the other side. The FBI is being blamed by, uh, you know, by a lot of people for not flagging that morning. FBI defenders say it was all out there in black and white. It was in the in the media that all of those officials on the Hill, the security officials, should have known what was coming. But there seems to be a complete <clears throat> lack of coordination between the House and the Senate, D.C. cops, and certainly the, all of them and the Pentagon. Well, Andrea, I found yesterday's hearing to both both be frustrating and educational at the same time. Educational because we are hearing about the mindset of the chief uh, security officers in place uh, on January 6th and frustrating because I don't like what I hear about the mindset of those officers. What we're hearing seemingly is they need to be shaken, they need to be screamed at when something is staring them right in the face about a threat and a risk. And so we're gonna hear a lot of finger pointing and a lot of down-in-the-weeds talk about what time of day an email was or not sent, what time of day an email was read or not, who should have been called at what level. But, Andrea, there are much larger, deeper questions here. Here's the question. Why is it that as a nation we seem collectively unable to view ourselves as a threat? You know, I think it was Senator Klobuchar yesterday who asked Chief Sund, what is your threshold? What, what would you have needed to see in intelligence that would have changed your security posture? We never really got a cogent answer on that. And I fear that the real answer to that is that religion or skin color needed to change to increase the security posture. By that, I mean, if you change the religion of these folks to violent Islamic jihad and their mission, and where you change skin color to black, I fear that the security threshold would have been much greater and we would have seen a major response. And you need only look at the posture for Black Lives Matter rallies in Washington, D.C., where there was virtually no intelligence indicating risk or threat. And then look at the posture on January 6th. 
And that says it all, right? That says it all. But then again, if you think you are exceptional, uh, then you can't do anything that puts a hole into that belief, right? I mean, you cannot be like those who will attack your own country in as much as we've had many of those. You cannot be like those who have to bring the military in to protect your national resources like those others. But you know, we've had to do that several times again. But again, his final statements are the most prescient. Deep, on, deep in the core, it's that the only folks that we look at that could possibly perpetrate that which is wrong comes from those of that religion or those of that hue. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That is what it is all about. Nanette Bird-Smith, you're absolutely right. Let's see what they do about March 4th. But anyway, let me welcome all before we go to the interview, and then we'll come back after the interview. Nanette Bird-Smith, welcome aboard. Bridge MCP, welcome aboard. Michael Rutten, welcome aboard. Lee Grant, no, I'm not playing the race card. I'm just playing the real card. Eric Hayes, welcome aboard. Laurie, etc. Lindman, welcome aboard. Eric Hayes, welcome aboard. Para ver quién más está aquí. ¿Quién más está aquí? ¿Quién más está aquí? Vamos a ver. ¿Quién más? ¿Quién más? Joseph Murphy, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see. I'm scrolling up. I'm scrolling up. Janine Wallace-Seglins, welcome aboard. AVQ, welcome aboard. Jorge González, welcome aboard. Okay. I'm going to start the interview early today so that we can have some time to chat at the end. So let's go ahead and bring in this special person. I really enjoyed this interview. Uh, Eric, you wanted to know conservatives that I respect, conservatives like this guy. And the reason why, he's science-based, he tells the truth, and he, you know, and, he doesn't ha and he doesn't have to mince his words about it. And by the way, after the interview, if you want to call in, uh, the number is on the screen, and I'll put it in the feed as well. Uh, because if somebody wants to call in and talk about what this guy had to say. But I really enjoyed him. I really liked the way this guy expressed himself. So let's go ahead and get busy. Here's the interview. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rana McBerto Will is your host. Today we have another special guest for you. And he is going to be kind of intriguing. Steve Mel Melink is the four books author of Fusion Capitalism, a clean energy vision of conservatives and founder, CEO, and CEO of Melink Corporation, a Cincinnati, Ohio-based company considered a pioneer in renewable energy solutions for the commercial building industry. Melink's company has worked with retail, restaurants, hotels, chains, hospitals, nursing homes, universities, and supermarkets. Melink is a national speaker on sustainability, clean energy, and zero energy buildings, and he has consulted with federal and state legislators. He earned a BS in mechanical engineer. That is truly my profession. I am a mechanical engineer as well from Vanderbilt University and an MBA from Duke University. Welcome to Politics Done Right. Steve Melling, how are you doing today? Good morning, Nigberto. I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, look, uh, first of all, um, the f this is going to be the first strange question. Where the hell did you come from? <laughs> <laughs> Where did I come from? Well, um, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, and, uh, you know, I built a business there. We're, we're a national company. We do work nationwide. We uh, have technicians uh, and employees across the country. And, um, you know, we've grown from a kind of an HVAC type company to a clean energy company over the years. And I, you know, I'm, um, I know that uh, clean energy, solar, wind, et cetera, it's the way of the future. Um, and that climate change is real. The science is, um, is real. And, and um, you know, we can't afford to take the risk of not addressing the problem. But the good news is the technologies are, for the most part, here and now. And um, many people and companies are taking advantage of them. And we have a bright future to look forward to. Now, explain what is HVAC, first of all, because, you, you know, remember, we, we, our, all our audience aren't engineers. So, uh... Sure. Yeah, so I got started in HVAC is an acronym for heating, ventilation, air conditioning. And my background uh, is in heating and cooling. I worked for the train company and Emerson and other similar type companies. Uh, 
And um, I started my own company to basically test and air balance and commission these these systems for um, national chains. So we do work for Walmart, Target, McDonald's, Starbucks, and many other chains across the country. But, but that led to the development of energy saving controls, uh, and then ultimately to us getting into the solar uh, power space and geothermal heating and cooling. Now you said, clearly I am no revolutionary, but I'm going to let you in on a secret. I love driving my all-electric Tesla down Miami, Miami Avenue and showcasing the future. I mean, hence my first question. Where the hell did you come from? You wrote a book called, <laughs> I mean, Capitalism, a clean energy vision for conservatives. And then you come out with stuff like this. I mean, I am. let me, let me just tell you, I'm impressed because um, that is a sentiment that needs to get out there. Tell me a little bit more about your electric car and how you got into that model. Oh yeah, I mean, I've been driving an electric car since 2010. Uh, I was driving a Chevy Volt for um, you know over seven years and then finally was uh, able to upgrade to a Tesla Model X. But for those of you who've never driven an electric car, you don't know what you're missing. I mean, they are so cool. You know, they, they accelerate faster. They're so much quieter. There's so much less maintenance involved. You don't have to worry about changing the oil and uh, the radiator fluid and spark plugs and things like that. It's it's a it's a um, it's a um, it's a computer on wheels uh, and it's so comfortable. And um, you know, the, another great thing is you know we don't have to burn gasoline to uh, get from place to place. Uh, I power my electric car with solar power. So um, I'm virtually driving around on, you know, solar power rather than on, on um, fossil fuels. You know, you said clean energy technologies are not some passing fad. They're quickly becoming mainstream. But then you say, I have to admit, it's confusing and even frustrating that the conservative brand that I grew up and identified with for most of my life is dismissing much of the damage that coal oil and natural gas are doing to our health and environment that's a prison statement let me let before before i ask you to answer um in that one paragraph you stated a few things that many don't talk about uh, people just talk about coal and gas and oil as far as employment as far as oil both of us are engineers we know that fossil fuels store a big bang of energy per volume. We understand that. Uh, but the other thing is that um, we don't always talk externalities. I live in Texas. We have Pasadena known as Cancer Alley. We know that the price of gas does not include the price of externalities and all those kinds of things. And when somebody like myself expresses those, 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 those things, it is taken as well. That's a progressive talking, and uh, it doesn't really make a lot of you know. It, it's something we don't look at. But when a Steve Melling says that as a bona fide conservative, it has a lot of bang. So the real question I want to ask you is: Why aren't you seeing more of your face out there as a conservative, uh, aiding this particular movement? I think um, conservatives will have no choice but to rally around uh, the solution. Even though they may not understand the problem of climate change, more and more they're rallying around the solution of clean energy. I mean, you see it in your home state of Texas. Uh, there's more jobs in clean energy than there is in fossil fuels. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I grew up, uh, you know, a good old Catholic, um, you know, large family. And there was nothing in my background that suggested I had to be about drilling for oil and mining for coal and burning fossil fuels to pollute the air and um, create this greenhouse effect. So, you know, it's only been in the last 20 years or so that this narrative has been cast. And who has it been cast by? By the fossil fuel industry. Exactly. And they in turn have influenced and brainwashed so many politicians on this you know they've been they're getting you know campaign contributions from this rich and powerful fossil fuel industry so i'm 
you know, I'm, I'm calling it out. Um, I don't, I don't believe at all that this, um, you know, that um, conservatism is about fossil fuels. You know, uh, again, I'm an engineer. I, I, I'm a lover of technology and the technologies that are coming um, downstream to us are, are as great as they were in the 20th century. You know, you know, think of all the, um, the great technologies that came to us in the, in the past century from uh, automotive to aviation, to space exploration, to computer and internet technologies. We have the same opportunity in the 21st century and it's gonna be, you know, to a large degree um, related to moving to a clean energy economy. And it's going to be a lot of change. And people in Texas, um, I mean, it's it's an energy-rich state. You're probably the, you know considered the energy capital of the country. But um, you know, the, the good news is that over the next 10 to 20 years, there's going to be many times more jobs in clean energy than there ever was in fossil fuels. You know. Um... Uh, Steve, interestingly, when you talk about Texas being the energy capital of the world, it's not only the energy capital of the or of the of, of the country in in uh, fossil fuels. It's also becoming sort of the capital in renewables. We just don't talk about it. The amount of wind power that we have in Texas is huge, but we don't want to talk about it too much because, again, we are trying to conflate ideology and technology. And what I love about what you're doing is that you've, uh, I mean, you've, you know it, you isolate your personal conservatism from what needs to be done for, I call it humanity, you know, what we sure. need to do. And I love the chapter where you have, uh, the problem is fossil fuels and there are four sub chapters. And, you know, I, I, I've written about all of this sort of stuff and it's it just amazing to see it all in one place. We pay it with our health, numero uno. Numero dos, we pay it with hidden taxes, numero tres. We pay it for the dictatorships and terrorism. Amazing, people don't get that. And we pay it because of greed and corruption. All those things are endemic within the production of oil. Egberto, hey, you... You know, Egberto, you were talking about externalities and, and, and that's kind of a, maybe a difficult term for some people to grasp. But, you know, I, I think uh, and a good example of that would be I can't put my garbage into your front lawn. If I did, I'd be fined. And so, you know, I think the, the, the analogy is apt that why should um, other people and companies be allowed to put their garbage in our air and affect our health and the future of our planet without paying a fine? And that's why I'm an advocate for what is called a, a price on carbon right. so that they pay their fair share for the stuff that they're putting in the air. You know, I mean, that is, you scare me. And let me explain something to you here. And let me tell you why. Uh, we have the United States and we have Great Britain. During the industrial era, of course, it started Great Britain threw a whole lot of stuff up into the air. The United States built its wealth on supplying products to the world by throwing all this stuff into the air. And what we have a lot of conservatives saying right now is, well, the reason we don't want to do it right now is because there's India and there's China have a way more population than us. And they're throwing all this stuff into the air to which somebody like myself, this great old progressive says, but wait a minute, we built our wealth by polluting the air of everybody else. Should we really feel like we are doing something wrong if we are aiding those countries that we want to get green as well to save us all, we, we, we threw our stuff in the air to build what we've got. Shouldn't they have the right? And if we don't want them to have the right, pay them not to? Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, for the last almost century, we've been buying oil from the Middle East. Now, Texas is energy rich. And, mm -hmm. uh, you, know, you know, in recent years, that's not as much the case. But you know, to a large degree, the world depends on places like the Middle East and these far-flung places where extracting oil and other um, and natural gas is a very costly proposition. So, um, you know, why aren't we becoming the Middle East of, uh, of, of building and selling wind turbines and solar panels and these clean energy technologies of the future? Um, you know, right now, for the most part, the, the, the solar panels are being built in uh, China and other countries in, um, um, in Asia. And so we're missing out on the opportunity. So, um, you know, I, I think, again, I think, you know, 
I don't know that I'll ever be able to change everyone's minds on the problem of climate change, but I think more and more people are willing to recognize the opportunity of clean energy. And they just move on beyond the problem. And okay, this is a huge economic opportunity. And you know, in addition to that is all the other problems that you were talking about being able to solve, such as improving our health, improving our uh, national security, um, not propping up the price of oil so that terrorists can, um, you know, sell it, enrich themselves, and foment their um, their evil ways. So, um, you know, I, I call that the clean energy revolution is the greatest opportunity of the 21st century. The amount of transition that will be required over the next 10 to 30 years will be um, amazing. But again, for those that are willing to embrace change rather than have a revulsion against it, um, we'll have the most to gain from it. You know, that is, I appreciate it. Now, there, there is something that, um, that is, you know, I, I talk about clean energy on the show a whole lot. And there's something that my, cons I have a lot of conservative listeners as well, both conservatives and progressives. And one of the things that they always bring up is that, well, you know, the problem is that at night, the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow all the time. So, I mean, we always have to have that uh, other energy to which I say, yeah, we need a back in store. But let's remember that a dam holding back water is a back in store. Let's remember that basic old batteries are back in stores. Let's remember that right now, oil is a back in store of solar energy. So um, all we have to do is, you know, uh, we, can, we, can, we can actually save this stuff just like we save water, just like we save energy in other forms for when the production mode is not there. Your thoughts on that? Absolutely. You know, uh, battery technologies are improving every day and becoming ever more cost effective. That's why we see more and more electric cars today that are using these battery batteries. And we're seeing it even more at the grid level. And so, um, you know, in the next five to 10 years, more and more utilities are going to be installing these uh, these utility scale battery storage systems to serve as a base load so that when the wind isn't blowing, the sun isn't shining, they can still power homes and buildings at night. Um, so yeah, you know, with the events of last week, you know, I'm sorry that so many people suffered and, and it's easy for people to, to run to the extremes and point fingers and there's a, enough blame to go around, you know, a, a, you know, um, and, and, and certainly, um, you know, there were problems with the wind turbines not being able to operate because they weren't winterized. Right. You know, wind turbines are being used in the uh, in far Antarctica. in Antarctica and in the northern plains of the U.S. And they're doing fine because they were winterized. And so, you know, the same problem exists with the coal and the nuclear and the natural gas plants. Um, you know, in the short term, I think what we've learned is we need to winterize all electric um, generation plants so that if this happens again next year or, you know, whenever that we'll be ready for it. But beyond that, you know, I think, you know, something to consider would be, you know, right now the Texas grid is an island to itself and it's not integrated with the other two large regional grids that the United States has. And it would behoove, I think, the United States, the state of Texas to integrate our grids into one large smart uh, national grid, but then uh, above and beyond that, have these mini grids and eventually millions of microgrids. And what are these microgrids? They're individual homes and businesses and schools and and even cars, for example, uh, that can operate in the event of a, a severe weather event or a um, natural disaster or a terrorist attack or you know, some future war that, you know, we, we can't um, imagine now, but, you know, um, you, you've probably heard about the cyber attack the Russians made yes. on our uh, infrastructure. And so there's, there's little doubt in my mind that they've penetrated, you know, as far as into our, our many of our utility um, uh, power stations. And so, um, you know, I'm, they wouldn't want to start something, obviously, but if they, you know, they've got the capability probably and if they don't well the iranians do or will or the koreans north koreans will or um or you know it could be the chinese so 
we need to be thinking about a future grid that is far more resilient and that no one event can take out a large swath of our grid. And the only way to do that is to get away from this idea that we wanna have large central power plants. Instead, let's have millions of mini and micro power plants. And it, then it's you know more like the internet that you know you can't take down by attacking one um, you know server. Um, Steve, that is magic. That is magic. That the microgrid concept is magic. We've spoken about that when we talk about having each home themselves with power. Sometimes you're not using your excess; it goes onto the grid. I mean, all of that is possible with the technology we have today, and it is, as you said, resilient. Now, look. This is a political show, so I'm going to ask you one political question, and uh, then I'm then after that I have one more. But it goes this way: You're an engineer. Uh, you claim that you're a conservative. Um, what makes you a conservative when uh, you show such enlightenment on so many aspects <laughs> of technology and otherwise? What what, what is what, yeah? What what makes me conservative? So. So, you know, things that I think are important, I do believe in, um, you know, I, personally, I'm pro-life. Mm -hmm. I, I believe in a strong national defense. I believe in uh, fiscal uh, responsibility. Those are um, values that, you know, I, I, I try to uh, abide by in my home, uh, my family, in my business. Um, and so, but that doesn't mean that I'm held hostage to all the other ideas that one party has or the other. You know, I have often said that, you know, some people let politics get in the way of their own cognitive abilities and their own sense of right and wrong. And so, um, you know, rather than two parties, we should probably have at least a third and, and many others. Uh, because no one party represents 100% of what I believe. And, and that's probably true for most people. And they feel kind of in the middle, kind of caught, you know, between the extremes of, of both. You know, um, I love your answer, first of all, because ironically, by your definition, I'm a conservative as well. But, um, but I, you know, I mean, really, when you said you like fiscal responsibility, I like fiscal responsibility. When you say you li you're pro-life, I'm pro-life. I just don't believe in telling somebody else what to do. When you talk, I mean, all, it, it's amazing when, and yeah. I tell people this all the time, when you look at what people want, what most people want, what you find is it's pretty damn much the same. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, some people would say, but they, and I, I would say, well, we have those on top that needs to have us fighting each other. But anyhow, um, Steve Melink, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Okay, so um, for all the listeners, they might be thinking, okay, the problem of what happened last week is too big for me to do anything about it. Um, but what can I as an individual do to ensure I don't um, you know, I'm not a victim of this uh, in the future kind of a thing. So my answer would be that, you know, uh, I want to empower everybody as consumers to be um, smart, savvy consumers and not be hapless victims of what um, industries tell us we have to buy, for example, that we have to buy fossil fuel power kind of a thing. So let's be smart and say, well, I think climate change is a problem. At the very least, it's a risk that's not worth taking any further than what we're seeing early signs of right now. So how can we mitigate this problem? Well, by reducing our carbon footprint, by burning less or by uh, buying less power that, uh, or no power that comes from um, core natural gas. So not everyone can afford solar panels on their home or putting in a battery storage system or buy an electric car. But what you know, many people can afford is um, in the, if they go to their utility, they can click on the box that says green power option. And if thousands and eventually millions of people click on the green power option, suddenly the utilities would have to uh, install or buy from more clean energy farms. And it would create such demand in the marketplace for clean energy that it would help create this revolution and uh, accelerate it. And it would be great for the United States. 
and um, you know the problem. The, the program is probably not long enough to explain how um, you know clean energy and battery storage can be made make us more resilient than you know the, the systems that we have today that caused the problems in Texas that we had last week. But you know, talk to Elon Musk and other very smart people who have this vision for the future. And they're not at all saying, oh, we need more coal plants or we need more natural gas. So technology is a wonderful thing. It's coming down the pike. Everything's not perfect right now, but over time, we're, over the next 5, 10, 20 years, we're going to get there. Uh, Steve, your book does a good job at explaining that as for everybody to get it. Steve Melink, founder and CEO of Melink Corporation and author of the book, Fusion Capitalism. A Clean Energy Vision for Conservatives. It was my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. Thank you so kindly for having been here. Yes, thank you very much for having me on your program. Take care. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. I enjoyed that interview. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was for me inspiring. It was rewarding. It tells me that there is so much out there for us to do. And we have people that we can ally with that aren't necessarily as progressive as some of us are. Some are, you know, I mean, uh, there are a lot, and, and he would say offline off, off as well, there are a lot more conservatives who think like him who are just quiet, unfortunately, quiet. Anyhow, folks, if you are watching us on YouTube, please consider becoming a part of our PDR Posse, PDR Posse. That is, uh, click on that join button. If you are on the, on, on watching us, so just click that join button to become a member. If you don't see that join button, some people told me they didn't see the join button. You can go ahead and click this thing here that says uh, politicsandright.com slash YouTube. Politicsandright.com slash YouTube. That'll give you access to, uh, to become a member of our, our, our PDR Posse. Um, now, we got our other picture in, folks. Ah, by the way, I need to tell you guys. The PDR Posse, we, uh, a cup was designed. Uh, Bridge MCPC said, hey, we need a cup for the PDR Posse. I said, okay, well, you need a cup. You go design a cup, PDR And Bridge MCP designed the PDR Posse cup, and that's the PDR Posse cup that you see on the screen right now. You can actually get that cup from the PDR Posse by going to our store and picking it up. How do you do that? This is the link right there to go ahead and get the cup. And already we have El Senor Norman who got the cup, Norman Reynolds, who got the PDR Posse cup. But guess who else got the PDR Posse cup? Our good friend Linda E. got the PDR Posse cup. So it's time for you to get the PDR Posse cup, and I have the link in there. Hey, I am pushing these cups and all this stuff because it helped us defray all our costs, folks. That's the truth. That's the truth. If you want to help us as well, consider getting our, our book. By the, it's, what is it called? It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. And how do you get that book? You can get that book by simply going to, uh, to our store and pick it up. I'll show you the link to the store right here. That's the store. You can pick up the, that. You can pick up the cups. You can pick up our, our, our swag, our hoodies, our T-shirts, all that good stuff. If you want to buy our books directly at Amazon, that is the link to get the book at Amazon that I just put into the screen as well. Now, if you don't want to support us on YouTube by giving us either a super chat or clicking a join, you can also support us on Patreon. How do you support us on Patreon? You go to politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. P as in person, A-T-R-E-O-N. Or you can go to our PayPal and support us there as well by going to politicsdenright.com slash PayPal. Anyhow, folks, thank you so kindly for being here. Let's go and start talking about your uh, messages. Saludos, hermanos, from Jorge Gonzalez. Michael Rodden says, King Trump isn't, le uh, King Trump isn't a legal defense. Uh, 
Judge Rips Capital Riders Trump defense, the, purpose, uh, the purported defensive recognized would undermine the rule of law, Chief U.S. Justice Judge Beryl Howell said during the video conference's court session for William Christman, uh, Chris Christman, 47. Then just like a king or dictator, the president could dictate what would be legal and what isn't in this country, and that is just not how we operate here. That's not how we roll. Good, good catch there. Eric says, hi, do you, you believe in reporting on all topics? Why haven't you mentioned... Uh, that the Cuomo, you know why I haven't mentioned the Cuomo thing? The right-wing media is going to do fine by by talking about Cuomo. I'm not into whataboutism. Cuomo, hi, uh, from what I understand, hid data. He didn't go ahead and release data. He didn't kill anybody. Nothing that he did supposedly caused the death of anybody. If, if that uh, turns out to be the case, I'll be first on it. So, no. I mean, But as far as wasting my time to hit up on uh, on Cuomo, before I get to Cuomo, there are so many other people that need to be chastised before I even touched Cuomo. Cuomo. It makes no sense on my part to really even bring him into the discourse. And that's the reason why I selectively chose not to discuss Cuomo. If I were to discuss Cuomo, there are too many other people that I would need to talk about that have done so many bad things in this country. So that's, that's your answer. A video for after the show, FBI says it's identified 500 subjects in the Capitol rat investigation and more than 200 arrests. Love that. Uh, let's see what else is here for me to talk about. Daniel Ledo says, LOL, Egberto is a rabid racist and doesn't even know it. Hmm. Wow. Guess what, people? Did you know that Egberto is a racist? Wow. I didn't know that. I guess all the people that I consider friends and all the family that I have from all kinds of ethnicities make you see that that is a funny thing. Usually the folks that say that right, they don't really know what they're talking about. Because if you see my family, it'll be silly for you to say that, right? But hey, what? You know, go talk. Uh the religion of peace, Brother Grant. All right, let's see what else is going on here. Uh, let's see. Eric Hayes, uh, or rather, Bridge MCP talking to Eric Hayes. I'll leave that conversation between the two of you. Uh, arrogance and being New York. Oh, that's another conversation as well. I have to wonder, can fossil fuel corporations be profitable without government subsidies while paying carbon taxes for their heavy pollution? Some fossil fuel producers are highly profitable even without subsidies, of course, but growing body of research shows that many new petroleum extraction projects are e economically marginally at best. When you're talking about uh, cracking a shale, which requires a lot of energy, water, all that kind of stuff, uh, those those are expensive. I don't know if can they stand alone. I haven't done the math on that, but in my opinion, it's like who cares if if. But you you have to let me tell you something that you have to ask yourself. Oil industries have their accountants and their 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 scientists etc. that know money. Think about this, folks. The sun is free. Wind is free. Building windmills and creating a. a energy or rather a re renewable energy infrastructure you would think would be pretty darn inexpensive right what this proves to you that they have such an affinity to hold on to oil at all costs as opposed to massive investments in renewables which again the sun is free the wind is free shows you how much real profit there is in fossil fuel so don't buy the crap that somehow fossil fuels really need the subsidies. They do not. Fossil fuel is very cheap. I remember at the t I don't remember how many years ago it cost like a dollar something to take a barrel of oil out of the sands in in Saudi Arabia. And then once you have your technology in, uh, it is such you know it, it it's not it, it is like free money flowing except for when you have to initially blow a well again and all of that. And by the way, I did write software that blew, blew holes in casings to pull oil out of wells and that kind of stuff. So I know from which I speak. Uh, Jorge Gonzalez, media is there to profit. That is true. Not this media. This media is trying to make a living. This media is trying to make a living while telling the truth. You know, we aren't stars here. We just try to survive in, uh, in, in, this, in the independent media business. Go ask any independent media person and you'll see what we're talking about. Okay, my New York Post is a rag paper. Always has been and <laughs> lean Republican. True. Uh, let's see. New York, New York. Okay, Eric Hayes. Expand, expand more fossil fuels digging up the battery-related stuff. You see, you see what you do there, Eric? 
In other words, we're going to have to use fossil fuels to dig up batteries, dig up the lithium and all this other material for batteries. So might as well not do it. Might as well keep burning fossil fuel. Why don't you take that frame, brother, one step further? Let's assume you're correct. We're going to use oil-powered devices to dig for the metals that we need to create batteries. Let's, let's, let's postulate that. But after you dig the, the products for that, bot, for, for that particular battery, that set of batteries, from then on, that set of batteries create a base of storage that you can use in further equipment later on that then ob obviate the need to use fossil fuels. You have to crawl before you walk. And the thing about it that we have right now is enough people are not willing to crawl, to walk, to run. Come on, let's get real here. We got to do something. And that conservative that I just had on, that is the reason I, you know, like I said, I had another person that I, that was supposed to be, um, that the interview that we were supposed to play today, I interviewed him early this morning. And after speaking to him, I had to say, wow, I want to bring this to you guys right away. Because especially now, when a lot of times, you know, conservatives and, and progressives are at each other's throat. And in my mind, it's like, I don't see why, really, you know. I'm at nobody's throat. I have all my conservatives in here. I love them, right? You know, we can discuss and have conversation. And that's what we had here. And I wanted people to see that as well. And this guy is a, a typical conversationalist, okay? Uh, Daniel Ledo says, okay, here it is. Finally, the leftists want control over our grid. I could come back and give an answer like, Look at what happens when we have the right control the grid. It collapses. It collapses. So therefore, maybe it's about time for the leftists to take the grid. Actually, that's not what we're saying. We're just saying that the market does not work for things like grids. And there's an, uh, there's an exact reason why. The market requires uh, maximization of profits. But when you're talking for reliability of a grid, you don't want to count reliability that says we want 99% reliability, but 1% Reliability means that you're going to be out of power for, let's say, 50 days in a whole 10-year spot. And if you're going to be out of uh, a power for 50 days in a 10-year spot, uh, in those 50 days, how many people can die or whatever? You see, you're, you're, you're assigning a number to humanity. There are certain parts of our economy, health, electric delivery, that sort of stuff that doesn't belong in the private sector. The private sector is there specifically to make a profit. If you put this into the private sector, that's what you're saying. I want to put profit over humanity. It's a humane thing for people who talk about being uh, the party of life, right? That is something that shouldn't be all that hard to understand. Uh, pro-life. Actually, I am pro-life. I believe in your life. I don't believe in killing you. I don't believe in capital punishment because I believe in life. Those people who call themselves pro-life, they really should call themselves pro-fetus. Because after one's born, they don't want to support them. They don't want to pass the policies to make life livable for many of them. They don't want to pass the policies necessary to sustain life. Remember, if we treated people appropriately, if we made sure people were made whole, Things like abortion wouldn't even have to be... You wouldn't even have to think about outlawing abortion because it wouldn't be a thing. Birth control would be the way to go instead of having a church say, we don't want to have birth control, but we want to have chastity rings with your father. And then it turns out half those damn fathers are perverts. Let's be real, brothers and sisters. Distribute the power generation. That's what he was talking about. Distribute the power generation. Uh, every house becomes a power generator. The solar cells, the little windmills in your backyard, you throw it into the grid. And we are smart enough to do that right now. And boy, would we have a, a sustainable system. Thank you for saying that's a great interview, Nanette. Thank you for saying that's a great interview. Good interview, MCP. Uh, let's see what else have we got here. Go, Linda. Yeah, Linda did great by putting that stuff out there. Okay, let me come down here. Fred Cruz, Fred Cruz was not pro-life when he left. <laughs> I know. He was, I'm getting the hell out of here. Okay, the profit motive should not be able to touch any issue where life and death are possible outcomes because corporations will always put profit. Well, you know, that's so right. When The reason why airplanes are not more powerful than they are and don't do certain things that they do is because they cost the life of lives of people. X amount of million people are going to fly. They pay X amount of dollars. 
if one plane crash and we lose 300 people and each one of those 300 people sue us for a million cha and change and we calculate that in case, okay, if, do we pay that million and change? That costs us a half a billion dollars if we have that accident, but it adds $2 billion of cost if we just prevent that from ever happening, if we create policy, if we create technology to make that not happen at all. What corporation then says is, okay, $2 billion not to kill while $500 million to kill? I guess we're going to kill. That is, that is capitalism for you. And that is how it works. They make the calculation of how many debts are we going to allow. And that's why those particular, there are certain parts of our society that does not belong in that realm. That is why we have regulations. We have seatbelt regulations because we say we don't want to tolerate debts. So we put seatbelts in and we make sure everybody has to do it. So no one company has a competitive advantage by not having to invest in that. The same goes with a lot with, with weatherizing technology. You have to weatherize all your equipment and you make it the law. That way no company can get a competitive advantage, meaning be able to charge cheaper electricity because they are not going to do the things that are necessary to be responsible. Exactly, like the auto industry as well. Acceptable debts. I love the way you put it. Matthew Block, welcome aboard. If the weather turns really bad tomorrow, what has our government done to make sure we don't have another disaster? Niet, nada, nothing. Okay, uh, let's see. How long is this other thing here? Well, this, this is too long, The I have another video, but I'll play that tomorrow with the, the black kid that was walking in the snow, uh, that, you know, minding his own business that the cops arrested. I'll, I'll play that tomorrow because I want to do a little bit more chatting here. Um, anyhow, so those, those, there are parts of our, our industry, parts of our society that simply does not belong in the public, in the private sector. And they don't belong in the private sector because, again, the only way we can ensure people live, the only way we can ensure that people aren't harmed is if we pass laws that covers the entire business strata. And in covering the entire business strata, we make sure that no one company has any competitive advantage and be able to undercut a company trying to, trying to do the right thing. People say, well... Maybe Americans would just go ahead and choose the company that's doing the right thing. That is, a, that is the right way to do it, which I say, no. I mean, uh, for the same reason, many people say we don't want Americans to have the, the right to, to, to take. Uh, well, you get the point. You get the point. Okay, Lee Grant says we, may, we, we pay 60K lives per year in auto debts for our mobility. Believe it or not, Lee Grant, that is a good point, except everybody can drive defensively, and when everybody is in their car, they are the master of their domain within the construct of regulations that created that car. So it's not the same exactly. But there are, a, there, there are things that we do, in a, let, let, let's say um, in chemicals. Uh, we may say uh, we've noticed that if you reduce... X amount of pesticides in fruit that we kill, that less people die from diseases caused by those pesticides. But then there's a the, the, there's the converse, right? If we don't use the pesticides, we grow less food, creating starvation, killing a lot more. So at that point, you get to that inflict to, you get to that point of best returns. So that is how you look at things from a policy point of view, right? That is what you have to do from a policy point of view. So as long as you do that, it, it, it is all fine. Uh, let's see if I've missed any other. Deborah John says, Egberto, don't, please don't allow these Republicans to project onto you exactly who they really are. You should answer the biggest racist of all time, Trump. Fox News, KKK. I'm not doing that. Um, I'm not doing that, Deborah. But I want to tell you something about race. And this is important. I go around saying something that I honestly believe in race. Race is a stupid thing, right? I'm a black guy. A lot of you guys are white. Most of you who watch me actually are white. Um, the truth of the matter is there's no, there is no biological difference between us of any consequence. In fact, there's a possibility that if you're white, I could give and you have a sister, 
there's a possibility that my heart, if I died and was transplanting it, would be more compatible with your sister than your own. So that is how silly race is, right? Race was imparted on us to create a division to keep a few on top. And I believe all of these things. I preach all these things. And, if I believe, and I understand what the plutocracy does. I understand that the masters of the country need to have me fighting against you, you fighting against somebody else, all these different ethnicities and ideologies and identities fighting against each other. I get it. That's what they need. Because if they don't have that, we will sit down together as a society and realize that we are being had by the few. We would really be able to see that Jeff Bezos isn't worth $160 billion. Jeff Bezos isn't even worth a billion dollars. All of that is stolen money that he didn't give to the people who actually made the money. So if we weren't fighting for silly things, for things that make no sense, race and all that kind of stuff, we would have the time to work on real issues. So if I am sitting down here worried about those who are racist against me, if I sit back here and worry about who, those who call me the N-word or whatever, none of that means anything to me. Because I understand from whence it comes. And I understand that if I let any of that hinder where we need to go, I would have fallen for the trap that was set by the plutocracy. So my goal is to try to get everybody to think that way. Have everybody love on everybody else. Forget about that race thing. It's crap. They need you to believe that. If they don't get you to believe that, do you realize what happens when, if we get together? Whenever we unite the barrios, the ghettos, and Appalachia, you see what happens? They lose. Because people finally realize, oh my God, we have been had. We are all in the same boat. Remember that. It is important. Uh, race is of consequence in medical diagnosis and treatment. That's a two-edged sword. Example, black people and sickle cell anemia. Jewish people and certain types of cancers in the breast and the colon. But those things are basically genetic changes environmentally based, etc. But for a func from a functional standpoint, it is academic because you can have uh, anybody with sickle cell, you can have anybody with lupus, you can have all these things together. So it is important for us to put all of these things in context. Anyhow, please folks, go ahead and get my book. I, uh, that is how we help defray our costs. Uh, I've just put it in there. The name of the book is It's Worth It, How to, uh, how to Talk to Your Right-Wing Friends, Neighbor, Relatives. I also have my book uh, uh, as I see it. So please go ahead and consider getting the book as to help us out here. If you're on YouTube, please consider clicking the Join button to become a part of our posse. If you don't see the Join button, please consider going to the link that I'm putting up here called politicsandright.com slash YouTube, politicsandright.com slash YouTube. Uh, you can also support us via our Patreon. That is politicsandright.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or you can support us via PayPal. That is politicsandright.com slash PayPal. That is how you can ensure that the type of messaging that we put out there stays out there, gets out there. What do we do? We write several articles, blogs a day. We write several, we create several videos a day to populate the internet space with the progressive message to counteract the paid message on the right that it's out there to mislead people, misinform people, have people vote against their own interests. That is the goal. That is what we do. Help us do the job. You can help by becoming a member of either uh, clicking that join button going to politicsandright.com slash YouTube, politicsandright.com slash Patreon, or politicsandright.com slash PayPal. We cannot do this without you. You are the ones who have kept me here this long, both here live on my podcast, on my blog, on my article. I mean, you are the ones who do it, and there are some special ones of you.
Uh, if you want to go ahead and get, get that cup, I'm going to put the link to the cup as well, uh, Bridge MCP's cup. That's a cup right there. And we have a lot of other cups as well, but Bridge MCP cup tells the message of who we are. And by the way, I finally got my cup. Here is my Bridge MCP cup. Join the PDR Posse. It is my honor to hold this cup here because it was designed by one of our own members, member of the PDR Posse. If you have a design you want to see actuated with our Politics Done Right that, uh, logo, send it on here. Let's get more of our people involved. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.